Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there, and welcome back to OOF, Right in the Childhood. I'm Jen, and every week I talk to you about one of the Disney animated feature films that made up so many of our childhoods. Usually, I tell you the history behind the movie and then provide some social commentary on the film, but this week is a little different. Fantasia, released in 1940, has an amazing history, and it's also one of the longest early Disney films. So I decided to break it into two separate episodes. If you missed last week, go back and listen. I'll still be here when you're ready. The Sorcerer's Apprentice. The one that started it all. I like how our narrator tells us everything that's about to happen. Like, we aren't going to see it. And now we see the return of Mickey Mouse. Remember how this whole thing was started because he was falling in popularity? I can't imagine that given how popular he is today. The wizard made a scary bat. And then a pretty butterfly! So Mickey's boss goes to bed, and he doesn't even hesitate to put on his hat. Does the hat carry the power? I guess so. And he's pretty good at the first broom. He gives it two hands and little feet, and it has a butt. Okay, but how much water does this sorcerer need? Why is this a thing that just needs to keep happening? Mickey is all skipping and dancing in his cloak skirt, At first, I thought he needed to keep his hands moving for the broom to work, but then he fell asleep and that makes the stars fall from the sky. That's not good for the universe, Mickey. What a dream. He's making clouds make lightning and waves appear from nowhere and oops, the broom brought too much water. See, I told you this wasn't a thing that needed to keep happening, but okay, you taught the broom to do this thing. Why not just command it to do like something else instead of chopping it into toothpicks. And now there are 80,000 brooms. The sorcerer is going to be thrilled. Apparently, Mickey can hear them through the door, and now I want to know what 80,000 brooms sound like. Time to try to bail out the tower with a single bucket as 160,000 fill it up. He pours water out of the window, but when the water reaches the level of the window, it doesn't flow out. I'm just going to have to release my understanding of physics. The sorcerer is Moses. He parts the water like nobody's business, and as predicted, he's real mad. And now Mickey is on stage with Stakowski. The Rite of Spring 
the narrator starts talking about the rite of spring, and the chimes fall down. I can't decide if that was staged or if they just left it in. We're going to use a cartoon to explain evolution as we understood it in 1940. I can't imagine that this will be any different than what we understand today. I am also completely certain that this was not at all controversial at release. This narrator is very negative about dinosaurs. I want to fight him. There were bullies and gangsters among them. What? So we start in the universe after the Big Bang, because there are stars and such, and we'll just travel through space for a while. We arrive at Earth, and it's just volcanoes and sulfur clouds making our atmosphere for us, and they're erupting all over the place. Lava, 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 lava. Gee, I wonder why I thought this movie was boring as a kid. We've moved on to single-celled organisms, eukaryotes by the fact that they have nuclei. They do some mitosis and swim around, and all of a sudden we have life. Okay, so we spent like forever in lava, and these suckers are evolving at the speed of light. Now we have trilobites and jellyfish, another dust cloud reveals eels and man o' wars and fish and a nautilus, and a mudskipper's getting brave. And we just fade to plesiosaurs swimming in the water. I guess that was a lot to put on animators. Go from mudskippers to plesiosaurs. But we also have pterodactyls, and I'm way too researched out to find out if those suckers lived at the same time as plesiosaurs, but part of me just doesn't think they did. They're learning to fly so they can carry off guests at Jurassic Park. We pan through all the famous dinosaurs. Demetrodon, Triceratops, Brachiopods, and they basically ignore the Archaeopteryx, which was considered the first bird. I feel like these dinos are in for a surprise any minute now, but until they get it, I want to applaud the animators for doing as good of a job as possible for their knowledge of dinosaurs at the time. I mean, it isn't their fault we didn't know as much about them as we do today. There are baby triceratops, and they are the best. Uh-oh, there's an alert, and I take back my praise of the animators, because they did not draw a T-Rex, they drew Godzilla. What happened here? This epic fight between, we'll assume it's a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and the Stegosaurus is... You know how I said in episode 1 that kids in the 30s had to have stronger constitutions? Well, I second that again. All the other dinos are like, well, Frank's dead. Time to move on. And now we have climate change. All the water is dried up. They can't live this way. If only someone had reduced carbon emissions. This particular idea of the dinosaurs all migrating to find water was played out in A Land Before Time as well. Is there evidence of this? They show dinos sinking into what I assume was the Labria tar pits. So... The dinosaurs starved to death? Or are we getting an asteroid? When did we adopt the asteroid extinction event? Oh, we're doing the splitting of Pangaea instead. Of course, why not? The waves crash, and the sun continues to eclipse. I'm not sure if that's supposed to indicate that this was a very long eclipse, that this happened over the course of a day, or if it happens over the time between two solar eclipses. I'm very confused. The end? Intermission. Did they just play a video of the orchestra walking out for intermission? Why would they do that? Do you know how long it takes to set up a full symphony? I do. 
I just think walking in and out and retuning sounds exhausting. That said, they did film all this over a few days, so maybe it was just the results of that? Then we have improvisation. The narrator is introducing the soundtrack, which is a thing that's never been done ever or since. And we're looking at a version of sound waves. This is a great way to wait for people to get the heck back into their seat. Something to amuse the people who were on time and the people who were at the back of the bathroom line don't miss anything. That poor bassoon sound wave looks all squished. And the percussion just takes off. Sounds like most of the percussionists I know. And it makes a triangle when the triangle is played. How cute. This podcast is sponsored by my patrons on Patreon. I love creating content for you, and becoming a patron on my Patreon helps me cover hosting fees and upgrade the equipment I use while allowing me to minimize ad time and promote small businesses. For as little as $5 a month, you can access an ad-free version of the podcast. For information on my Patreon, visit my website at oofmychildhood.com. pastoral symphony. We'll head to the abode of the gods for this one, says the narrator. We'll meet Pegasus's whole family. Then he calls Centaur strange. How dare he? And then he has the gall to call their girlfriends centaurettes. Centaurettes are not a thing. Also, he mentions Vulcan will hand over lightning bolts to Zeus and, well, Vulcan is Roman. He handed lightning bolts to Jupiter. Hephaestus made Zeus's lightning bolts. And, for the record, Artemis was the goddess of the hunt in Greek mythology, not Diana. She was also Roman. Oh my god, we start off with baby unicorns and all is forgiven. And baby fawns, they are so cute. There is a black-as-night pegasus with red eyes. It feels evil. I thought, from what the narrator was saying, that we would only see Pegasus, the one winged horse. But we have a whole collection of adorable pegasi, and that's completely okay. Explain to me how a black pegasus and a white pegasus mate to produce pink, blue, and orange pegasi. Also, why do I care? They're so cute. They swim through the canopy that Eric takes Ariel to on their boat date, and why is the Little Mermaid imagery so inspired by this movie? More pegasi! There are so many! Centaurettes, I guess. They're getting their tails braided by cupids, and there's a lot of G-rated nudity here. The little baby bums of the cupids are all rosy. And here come the centaurs. The cupids make hats for the centaurettes out of things that are lying around, like doves. Apparently, the Motion Picture Association also felt that the female centaurs were a little too naked, so they got flowers around their necks to fix it. There was also originally a black centaurette named Sunflower, who has been edited out of home releases of the film because, wowza, she was a racist depiction. I'm going to post a picture of that on my blog if you want to see why she got cut. And now we're making wine. Because of reasons. And we have Dionysus, and his servants are black centaurettes who have zebra bodies. 
It's been a while since that nutcracker suite, so I'm just going to throw in a second oof right in the childhood for that. Rain's a-comin'. Zeus looks super happy. I'm sure he's not going to pop down and have sex with a random person at any point. Nope, he's just going to try to kill Dionysus. Why not? My daughter loves to study mythology, and she's just so upset by how badly they got these stories wrong. Dionysus just wanted some wine. Poor guy. At least he has his... Is that a donkey corn? Oh, Zeus is tired, so Hephaestus is gonna throw the last bolt. That sounds like fun. The thing about this movie is that the shorts go on just a little too long. As an adult, I listen to all these pieces on my own time, and I'm really glad that Walt wanted to give people the exposure to chamber music, but as a child, I was done with this cartoon as soon as Zeus went to sleep, and then it goes on for five more minutes. I know that's how long the piece is, but oh. Oh look, it's Iris, goddess of rainbows. Well, I will say that Mozart did better with Denouement than Disney did in those days, I guess I have to give him credit for falling action. And Artemis shoots a star through the night sky. The end. The Dance of the Hours Narrator says we're going to do one of the most famous ballets ever written. Again, I grew up on chamber music. I have never heard of this ballet. Maybe when I hear the music, I'll recognize it? Oh, it's the hippo song, I say as an ostrich unfolds. Honest to goodness, who had this idea? Ostriches have fluffy bums. They'd make great ballerinas. Oh, it's this music! Okay, yeah, I'll give it one of the most famous songs in the world. My daughter absolutely loved the ostriches fighting over grapes. Now it's a hippo! I gotta give body positivity props to Disney for ballerina hippos. Elephant ballerinas now. And they have... Weirdly lumpy heads. Why do they have lumpy heads and why are they sneaking up on the hippo ballerina? The elephants can form skirts out of their bubbles and float on them. Okay, I'm starting to see how Disney marketed this as psychedelic. And then they're whisked away on the wind. What? It's nighttime and there are alligators, or crocodiles, in cloaks sneaking up on the sleeping hippo and I'm going to pretend they're vampire alligators. Theatrical alligator scares off cloaked alligators. He's in love with the hippo, I think. She's understandably creeped out by him watching her sleep, but then they fall in love like instantly. And now we're doing the fast part of the music. It's so bizarre. We have ostrich and hippo and elephants and alligators, and they destroy whatever they are dancing. The end. Night on Bald Mountain, and Ave Maria. Right off the bat, I can tell you that in my opinion, there are no two more different pieces of music than these. Why would you put them together? Oh, the narrator explains because they set each other off perfectly. Sure. To summarize, we have Satan on Halloween and the triumph of hope and life over despair and death. Night on Ball Mountain is absolutely one of my favorite pieces of all time. For the record, so is Schubert's Ave Maria. Satan's hands are the shadows that haunt this town, and we have skeletons flying through a noose and a derelict castle. The opening said that the evil beings would come to worship Satan, but from what I can see, this is just all the dead people in the town. 
We've progressed to Dark Horses and Immortal Evil Warriors. They might be the Nazgul. And we have sexy fire dancers that turn into a pig, goat, and wolf, and those turn into birdmen, and now they're demons. Satan here must have been used as an inspiration for the Gargoyles series in the 90s. The Harpies have nipples! The first nipples in the whole movie! Satan's all ready for round two, but the bells ring and he's thwarted! And all the dead people go back to where they were. Now there are people with candles? Okay, if I'm in this theater, after watching two hours of music, ending with Ave Maria is likely going to put me to sleep, and I say likely because I am sitting in my living room, fighting the nap with writing furiously. But boy do I love this song. I don't think that mushing it together with Night on Bald Mountain is my first choice, but hey, whatever made Walt happy. As they zoom in on these people walking, it appears they do not have candles, they have giant glowing lollipops. Please, someone, let me know what's going on here. We have a singer now, and I'm not going to fall asleep. I'm not going to fall asleep. I'm not going to fall asleep. I can do this. There are only three more minutes of awakeness, and the super soothing depictions are not helping, and it just ends. There's no thanks for watching. Hope you like the music. Just end. All right. I have a deeper appreciation for this film and what went into it, but nope, it's not going to ever be on my let's watch this movie list. It is still boring. Sorry, Dad. But enough about how I feel about Fantasia. I want to hear from you, my listeners. When was the last time you watched Fantasia before this episode? Do you like it? Why? What are your favorite parts, and what's less awesome to you? Did this bring up anything you never really thought of, or did it just give you fond memories? Let me know on my social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the show's name and the handle OofMyChildhood. This episode's cover art was provided by Shasha. You can find more of her art on her Instagram. I link to that in the show notes and on my website at oofmychildhood.com. If you'd like to provide cover art for a future episode, head over to the website. I have a form to submit as well as details for what the requirements are. Just click Submit Your Art to have your piece considered for a future episode. My theme music was composed by Sean Rudolph of Let Music Be. For more information on that studio, you can visit their website at letmusic.be or visit my website for an easy link. You can find transcripts for each episode on my website. And if you check out my YouTube channel, I have captioned video versions of each episode as they're published. I do my best to provide YouTube videos and transcripts at the same time as the podcast episode is released, but if this one isn't up yet, you can always just check my website for an update and a link to the appropriate video. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you come back each week to discuss Disney through modern eyes. And while you're at it, if you're enjoying yourself, please let your friends know about me. I'd also appreciate a rating and review wherever you're listening to the show. This podcast is written, recorded, and edited by me. I release a new episode every Monday through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many, many other podcatchers. So until next time, keep the magic alive.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.